belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for October 17th, 2021 is called, You Want Me to Invite Who? The speaker is John Ray and the location is Vesser Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So when I was in high school, I had this friend named Jimmy, and he was a quiet, unassuming, overall, just a really nice person. And you knew where he got it from, because you would go over to Jimmy's house, and Jimmy's mom would inevitably be so excited that this group of teenage boys had just suddenly descended upon her house, and she would make us feel so welcome. She would make sure we had stuff to eat, stuff to drink. I mean, she was just one of those moms of your friend that that was so welcoming. And inevitably, she would start asking about people in our friend group. She would want to know how everybody was doing. So if it was a Heather or a Robert who wasn't there, but she had a really particular way of asking it. She would say, so tell me, who loves Heather? Or she would say, so tell me, who loves Robert? And I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that we would make fun of that. As teenage boys, we just we would make so much fun of Jimmy's mom for that. We would even take on her accent and do that behind her back and, and do it. But as I've gotten older, I've really come to appreciate that question. Because what she was asking is, are they cared for? Are they included? Are you looking out for them? Do they have what they need? That was her way of asking that of us as a group. And particularly the people who may not have someone looking out for them. Who may not be the most popular. Who may not be the most involved. She would make a particular point to ask about them. Who loves them? I have no problem imagining Jesus asking each of us the same question. Especially naming those people who may offend us or that we don't want to think about. We don't want to care for. We don't want to like. Jesus asking, well, who loves them? Who's looking out for them? Who's remembering them? Who's taking care of them? Who's including them? Who's making space for them? Paul and Phoebe are, in a way, asking the same thing here in our text this week. Among other things, they're reminding the Gentile readers that we don't earn God's love and acceptance of us in any way, shape, or form. Humility towards ourselves and towards others, and the humility that leads to hospitality, is the only reasonable response to this fact. You see, our attitudes and postures towards those we disagree with is one of the most visible displays of what we believe about ourselves and God. We'll say that again. Our attitude and posture towards those 
that we're not naturally inclined to like or get along with or agree with or appreciate, that tells people what we believe. Those attitudes, those postures demonstrate more than any words can what we believe about God's grace, what we believe about the good news, the gospel, what we believe about the kingdom of God. And this is what this is what Paul is writing and Phoebe is delivering in the text. I'm gonna have Laura come up and read it. This remember last week we looked at what he was saying to the to the Jewish believers there in Rome, and he goes all this big long passage, and then he turns and he says, Now I'm talking to you Gentiles. And since it was Phoebe teaching it, um, Laura's gonna read it this morning. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, seeing that I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If somehow I could provoke my people to jealousy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first portion of the dough offered is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, so too are the branches. Now if some of the branches are broken off, and you, a wild (coughs) olive shoot, were grafted in among them, and participated in the richness of the olive root. Thank you. Do not boast over the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Notice, therefore, the kindness and harshness of God. Harshness toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? For I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it was written. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. In regard to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But in regard to election, they are dearly loved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Just as you were formerly disobedient to God, but have now received mercy due to their disobedience, so too they have now um, been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may receive mercy. For God has consigned all people to disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. For God has consigned all people to disobedience. Again, this was important so that he may show mercy to them all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has first given to God that God needs to repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I'm glad how uh, Laura can take a typo there and make it um, a Holy Spirit thing with that. So last week we we asked the question, what is the issue going on in the text? What is the argument about that? And what's the answer? And I want to do that again this week. As you listen to the words coming in, really, what's the issue that they're getting at? What is the issue that Paul is writing about? What is the issue that Phoebe is arguing for? And I believe the text makes it very clear. As Laura read, Paul wrote, I'm writing this to you so that you won't be conceited. So remember, as we've studied Roman, what we've seen is that the Gentile believers had come come to faith, and then all the Jewish believers were exiled from the Roman community. By the imperial edict, they were cast out for about five years. So the Gentiles were running the show. They had the place to themselves. And they didn't know a lot about kosher and and Torah and these observances. So they built their own practices, their own customs that fit within a Roman Gentile community. And they got, you know, when you run things, you you get used to doing it your way, right? You get used to, hey, we we got this figured out. I'm doing this. But then all of a sudden after the ban is lifted, the Jewish believers come back in and they were the leaders before the Gentiles were kicked out. They come back and they say, hey guys, no, we can't be eating that or drinking that or meeting over there or seeing those people like, and, and there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of conflict. And as Paul has heard about this and and he's he's talked it over with Phoebe and and he wrote the letter and she's delivering it and she's answering this, what they're seeing is there's this temptation within the Gentile church to become conceited. And conceited in a way that leads to kind of an arrogance and an exclusion. That says, you know what? You Jews, you kind of had your chance. I mean, I know you're God's chosen people and all that, but God's got a new thing going on here, and it's about us. We're the deal now. And this was leading them to exclude and to put up barriers and to think of themselves more highly than they should with this. And Paul and Phoebe are very quick to address this. And y'all, if we think this is a problem only within the Roman church, we see it throughout church history. There has been empire after empire, people group after people group who have thought they have replaced Israel that they've replaced the Jews, that they've now become the Holy Roman Empire. They've now become God's chosen people. They've now become the thing. This has been a temptation throughout the history of the church to do that. Part of the reason, I believe, is this. Well, John Wesley wrote, long ago he says nothing more nothing is more repugnant to capable reasonable people than grace it's tough to be on the receiving end of god's love 
God's love or anybody else's love because love is unearned. Love is unmerited. Love is, love is this gift that we're given, right? And it may not be a Nintendo Switch. It may not be the cool gift, but it is the essential gift. And, and none of us like to think that we need grace. Look, y'all, like I can come to grips with asking for help for certain things, but I don't want to be seen as a needy person. Maybe my greatest fear is being seen as a needy person. Because that offends me. That offends my sense of self. That offends my, my hey, you know what? I got, kind of got things figured out. I may not have it all figured out, but I'm pretty dang good at getting these. I'm successful to a degree. I got things figured out. I can take care of myself, right? And grace just is, it doesn't, it's not that grace refutes that. Grace just doesn't care. God's grace just doesn't care. It's like, no, here, I love you, period. Not because of and not in spite of. And, and when we receive that, we start to understand, this is something I could never do for myself. God's grace is that realization that I am being given a gift that I could never, ever do for myself. I could never earn it. I could never be smart enough. I could never be pretty enough. I could never be rich enough. Whatever, I could never do it for myself. And that is an overwhelming affront to being self-satisfied, to being conceited. So what's the argument for this? What, what's the argument that Paul, and if that's the issue, is this temptation towards conceit, what's the argument? Well, here's the deal we all need to remember. If you can write something down, write this down. It didn't start with us. It's not dependent on us. And it will continue on without us. You want to talk about something humbling. Because you know what? It's not me. It's not us. This is not our deal. Church, yeah, we, we give a lot of effort. We honor it. We honor the gift, but it doesn't start with us. It is not maintained by us, and it will not continue on just by our power. God is perfectly capable, capable of doing all that God wants without us. And that ought to be, that ought to help foster that humility that leads us towards these towards the answer. And what is that answer? The argument is, hey, you receive this as a gift, the same gift that those people you're trying to exclude, the same people you're ignoring or condemning or judging, they got the same gift, you got the same gift. Then, then what's the answer? Well, the answer is a revolutionary humility that leads to extravagant hospitality. And I'm not talking about the self-deprecating pseudo-humility that we see a lot, right? Oh, I'm such a terrible person, or, you know, I'm not any good at that. Not, not any of that stuff. That's weak sauce. 
I mean, I am talking about the revolutionary humility that really looks at yourself and considers everything that I have is a gift. There is not one single thing in my life that I have earned. And yes, I may have worked hard. I may have achieved things. But even the ability to conceptualize working that way to achieve something is a gift. I don't care what you've accomplished, what accolades you've had, what you have achieved, when you peel it back to the core, it starts with some gift somewhere. Even the ability to act on those gifts is a gift. And that is a radical humility, not self-deprecating, not down on yourself, but glorying in the one who gave the gift. Focusing on the giver of the gift. Understanding that being this, this receptacle of grace, this recipient of love, is in itself a gift to be cherished, to be nurtured, to be enjoyed, and to be shared. And I think this is, this is key to our understanding of, of the early church as we study Romans. In Philippians 2 is the famous kenosis passage, the, the emptying passage. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi here. And in Philippians 2, he says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind, having the same love, being united in spirit, having one purpose, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, this is this revolutionary humility, be moved to treat each other as more important than yourselves. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but also about the interests of others. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. And then, there's this interesting thing, and I, I know we don't carry around paper Bibles anymore, but if you look in your paper Bible book, you will see the following verses either italicized or set apart. And when you see that in the Bible, what you need to recognize is that this, this thought or what's coming isn't original to the writer. What Paul is doing is he's sampling here. He's pulling these things together. And people have, have asked, historians and theologians have asked throughout the ages, what, what is he referencing Verses in verses um, 6 through 11. And I think the most compelling argument I've found, and it's a consensus argument, is that Paul is actually pulling in an, a hymn of the early church. I mean, we got up here and we sang some hymns, and I love that Jeff goes back in the hymnal and he pulls them, hymns from maybe 50 or 100 or even 150 years ago. But here's a hymn that's 2,000 years old. And when you see that, you, you want to sing it. And we need somehow, Alex, to get this set to music. Because to sing this with the early church, to sing this song. And I'm not going to sing it. But this is the song. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men. By sharing in human nature, he humbled himself, talking about Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
As a result, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is the revolutionary humility, because God is like that, right? God doesn't ask us to do anything that God doesn't go first. I love the definition of a leader I I heard one time. A leader is someone who says, well, heck, I guess I'll go first. I mean, that's, that's what God invites us to do by going first in this. Will Williman, who I quoted earlier, he also said this. He said, discipleship, discipleship teaches us the art of seeing our lives as gifts. That's tough. Because I would rather see myself as the giver. I want power. Power to stand on my own, to take charge, to set things right. Perhaps help those who have nothing. But I don't like picturing myself as dependent, needy or empty-handed. But that's what we're asked to do, to recognize that and to, and to lean into that, that emptying for others. So how do we learn from this text written to the Roman Gentiles by Paul and delivered by Phoebe? What, what do we do, Grace Church? And I would, I would offer this. Maybe it starts by asking the question, who loves them? When we look around in the world, maybe our neighbor next door, who loves them? We look at the Afghani families who are going to be arriving in our community, who loves them? We look at people on the margins, ostracized by society, hurting, excluded, demeaned even demonized. Who loves them? Who loves them? And responding with that humility that leads us to radical hospitality to say, well, maybe it's us. Maybe it's supposed to be me. Maybe it's supposed to be Grace Church. Maybe it's supposed to be Abwe or Brian or Ryan, Becca, Kelly. Maybe it's supposed to be us. Maybe we're the ones that or who are supposed to love them with them. You see, Grace Church, who are we to deny belonging to anyone when we ourselves have received such unconditional love and acceptance by God? Surely this posture of humility and hospitality must be practiced. It doesn't come easy, y'all. I know that. I get it. It doesn't come easy for me. I don't think it comes easy for us as a people. But the practice of this posture and attitude is, as I said earlier, the most powerful and decisive way that we demonstrate our faith, that we show what we believe. Grace Church, can we do this? Can we really lean in and practice this radical revolutionary humility and hospitality that not just welcomes those different from us, but values them as family? Sisters, brothers, siblings grafted into the root of all things 
by the sacrifice of Jesus. God was giving grace to the church in Rome in the form of others. People who were to be received and respected against all the ways the world told them to be ranked and valued. This is often the way God loves us. Willeman says finally. This is often the way God loves us. With gifts we didn't thought we need. Which transform us into people we didn't necessarily want to be. Will we be those people? I think we can be. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchnwa.org. Grace and peace.